Hey everyone, Lauren here with a brand new interview. For this episode, I interviewed best-selling author Roshni Chakshi. She's amazing, and she is best known for The Star-Touched Queen and The Gilded Wolves, and also her best-selling middle-grade series, Arusha. The second book just came out this spring, and so we sat down and chatted about the book and also a bunch of other really cool stuff. Honestly, half of the interview is about creativity, owning your strength as a woman in an art, knowing when it's okay to say no, um, what it's like writing middle grade versus young adult. There's all kinds of really cool meat in this episode. So for those of you who have listened before, um, sorry for the inconsistency. I'm trying to figure out my schedule and I, I was slamming episodes out early this year. I got a little overwhelmed and so I'm trying to find that balance and I don't want to get burned out on the podcast because I really enjoy it and I'm trying to find that happy sweet spot of, you know, producing new content um, to coincide with books that are coming out and chats with authors that we all love. Stay tuned. I have a few episodes coming up that are going to be really, really cool, including next week, which is with agent extraordinaire Jenna Zantian. Um... For those of you who are new, my name's Lauren, like I said earlier, and I am really into science fiction and fantasy. I have been reading and reviewing books for over a decade. I've been interviewing authors for almost as long. And when I shifted to doing my own website from working under a friend, I decided I wanted to change it up a bit because I was getting a little exhausted writing the same review style. So I decided to turn my author interviews into a podcast where I can actually dissect the books with the authors themselves, pick their brains, and get inside the heads of these people who create these stories that we love. So that is what the the Ink Feather podcast is all about. And I hope you tune in for this episode and future episodes. We are on iTunes, we are on Spotify, we are on SoundCloud, uh, So, and we are soon to be on YouTube. I'm actually going to start putting the videos on YouTube as well. The, right now, they're only audio, but in future, I'm hoping to be able to record a video component as well to the episodes, so you'll be able to watch me chatting with the authors if that's more your thing, which is really fun to do. So, Also, if you want to make sure you don't miss any episodes, I have included a link to my podcast newsletter is not spammy. It is literally one email when every new episode comes out just to let you know what's been going on, fill you in on any cool bookish info that I have um, that's related to it. But it's just, yeah, just as a notice in your email inbox in case you want to make sure you don't miss any episodes. All right, so now on to my interview with Roshni. Hi, Roshni. Welcome to the Ink Feather podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you. Uh, I was just talking to her a minute ago, for those of you listening, that we've been on the schedule here for months because she has had a busy, busy spring. Um, you had a YA book come out earlier this year, Gilded Wolves. And then yep. you just had Arusha book two, The Song of Death, come out. Yep. And you had a kind of a big celebratory event in the middle there. Yeah, just a wedding, just like 600 people, you know, no big deal. Massive, beautiful wedding. Your photos look amazing, the ones you posted online. It looked like it was Thank so much you. fun, but oh my gosh, <laughs> crazy party. <laughs> it was it was something else. 
So you kind of have a breather now in a sense. You're not touring and running around and doing all kinds of stuff. So I'm glad we could actually get together to finally talk about some book stuff here. Yay. So I wanted to talk about the middle grade books. So the Arya Shaw books are awesome. Um, book two just came out. They're, they're through the Rick Riordan Presents, which is working with Disney. Um, for those of you who maybe are living under a rock and have no idea who Rick Riordan is. Uh, he wrote Percy Jackson. He kind of became one of the iconic middle grade re rewriting of myths in the recent book publishing um, past, I would say. Yeah. And so that's kind of what he's become known for. And so I love that he has teamed up and now it's kind of using that interest to feature even more mythology-based stories. And so yours was uh, the inaugural book, wasn't it? Aru wasn't the first one? Yes, Aru was their first. That's awesome. So tell us about that story, about how you kind of got involved in, in that. Did you have the story written or was it something you wanted to do and you were a fan of, of Disney and his books or how did that kind of come about? Aru's story was something I had wanted to write for a really, really long time. Um, and I'd never really... I'd, I'd never really felt confident that there was a readership for it. Okay. So in a way it, it, it had just been a thing of like, Oh, that would be so cool to write one day. Oh, well, <laughs> like, and it feels very familiar to like my old sailor moon fan fiction from back <laughs> in like middle school and stuff. Awesome. <clears throat> and then in 2016, I heard that he was starting an imprint with Disney. Um, and the, for those of you who aren't familiar, an imprint is is like a, a subset within a publishing house. And his imprint was going to be exclusively mythological-based adventure for, written from the perspective of people who were of background. Yes. And I think when I heard that news, I lost my mind. I was like, please tell me that this isn't a joke because that's everything that I've ever wanted. Seriously. Yes. Yeah. It's perfect because it's an amazing publisher. He's an amazing author and person. So it's like literally like a, a, a platform of awesome just being handed to you. It Yes, that was pretty much <laughs> exactly how I felt. And um, I remember that I just was frantically emailing my agent. I was like, please, is there any way that we could do this? I'm obsessed with this idea. And we sent in three chapters that we'd revised pretty thoroughly. And then with a hope and a prayer and an expectation that nothing would happen. Mm. And then something did, Awesome. which is, I think always the most surprising thing about publishing. It's, it's a place where you must be comfortable with not comfortable, but that you, um, you deal in a realm of hearing no all the time. No, 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 not this time, blah, 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 blah. And all it really takes is one yes for stuff to sort of pull together. Now, in 16, I, I'm not sure of your publishing timeline. You had hit list by then, correct? I had. I don't know if that added weight or not, you know, given some sway. That's crazy to hear, though, that doesn't matter where you're at and what you have on the books already. It's still this crapshoot of could possibly be no or what's going on. I mean, I guess that's just the, pub yeah. the publishing game. Yeah. And it was, you know, like going from young adult to middle grade, it's not as though you've proven yourself at middle grade just yeah. by writing by writing a young adult book because there's such different beasts. Yeah. So, and it was strange because the path to publication for the Star Touch Queen was just almost four months of very, very heavy revisions, uh, six to eight months on submission, all no's. And this time, and I, this time it was like two weeks hmm. max, you know, and I don't think that it was. 
because of being previously published, but just because there's some ideas where it's so clear that you've been dying to write it, that the emotional urgency really shines through, I think, mm. in the pitch. That makes sense. Like you said, you fit the criteria of what they were looking for as well because of your ethnic and religious background that of your like experiences and you're able to touch into that too which is so cool i loved reading these books they are delightful um middle grade thank you <laughs> if you are not reading middle grade those of you listening you are missing out some of my absolute favorite books are middle grade they are they're you know they're still fraught with tension and emotional strife but you don't often have like the teenage angst as much which mm -hmm. is kind of nice sometimes if you want to break from that as a reader, but you still want that kind of young, adventurous vibe. You get that with middle grade. Yes. I guess before we delve into comparisons, do we want to kind of do a um, a descriptor of the Arusha kind of series world for those who are listening? Because that's why I wanted to mainly talk to you about this is I think that I have a lot of listeners who are fans of your young adult, but maybe haven't dip their foot in with your with your middle grade yet and they need to it's amazing i love this series and i wanted to kind of get get it out there more i'm sure i know you went on tour and that it's was a bestseller but I, it could never hurt to tell people take a risk you know what i mean sure yeah i mean um so our shot in the end of time is in a four book series of the moment it's like sailor moon meets percy jackson with indian mythology yep. and um or i should say hindu mythology not indian but it's based on this Sanskrit epic, and our, our epic poems are really, really important for India's cultural identity or Hindu identity. And the one that ours is based off of is the Mahabharata. And the Mahabharata is the tale of five legendary demigod brothers whose job it is to get their throne back. And it's full of our gods and goddesses and nested stories, tales of romance, um, unknown parentage. The five brothers are so such distinct characters to me, and they're the sons of the god of death, god of thunder and lightning, the twin gods of sunrise, sunset, god of the wind. Um, and they each go on their own journeys of growth in terms of thinking about what the world owes them, how do they do their duty, and when they are faced with strife, and also just some very interesting romances. For example, these five brothers are married to the same woman. I know. I, I read that in the first book. I was like, wow. And there's like really strict rules around them too, but it's really fascinating. Yes. Yes. Very interesting. I, it's the only example, at least I can think of, of a woman in mythology who has multiple husbands, you know, versus like, usually it's the man who's like, oh, this is my flavor of the week Harry goddess or... of the yeah 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 whatever god <laughs> goddess of the week that's oh i mean good to flip it on its head you know yeah so with book one and book two um it's kind of there's an overarching story of a, of a baddie who they're working to defeat and things happen in book one that kind of lead us into book two but each story also has its own kind of adventure journey that they need to the characters need to go on so yes um so aru and our one of our other main characters Minnie, are they are the reincarnated souls of two of these five brothers you were just talking about right 
and the first girls to ever be the reincarnated, which threw everyone for a loop in the first book, which made me laugh a lot because they're like, you're a girl. Wait, I don't understand. <laughs> Aren't you the brothers? No, we're the girl. And, they, and the one girl keeps saying we're heroines, not heroes, which made me laugh. <laughs> so when you were kind of putting this story together, because the thing that I noticed more than anything else, I think as a I'm not Indian, I'm I have no real uh, knowledge of Hindu religion in my like just other than reading casual books like this there was so much myth that was so amazingly cool how much of it were you pulling from from hindu story Uh i mean were you just taking all these parts that you just loved and thought were the coolest thing ever and blending them into a story they just kind of work together or did you kind of have to Mm -hmm. stick in your own parts to kind of blend the bits together I think maybe most of it is honestly just taken from myth. And then a lot of it is just reimagined through how I wanted to, how I would have wanted to explore a world like that. Um, For example, in book one, there's a character called the Palace of Illusions. And it is a real thing that appeared in the poem. The Pandava brothers and their queen had the most illustrious palace ever. And it was created for them by a demon king who had made it so clever and ingenious that it would trick and confuse enemies who didn't know where to sit, what to touch, whatever else. Um, But for me, what was interesting about it was to turn that palace into a conscious character Mm -hmm. and um, something that would almost be like a dog and mourn the people who aren't there anymore um, and not know like, what it's done wrong and why everybody left it and yeah, that was really what happened to them kind of sad and like the walls start weeping and he's like i don't understand it was <laughs> yeah it was really like sad and sweet at the same time and he was kind of a, a jerk too at the first because he was like i don't believe you you're gonna die and prove me wrong yeah. <laughs> um which is poor yeah. these, these poor girls this quest they had to do that like five different times which <laughs> they they certainly struggled a lot yeah, they really did. So going into book two, you have you bring back some of the uh, original characters in regards to even some of the side characters like the parents and the two main girls. But then we have new primary secondary characters, these other two, another sister who kind of joins the fray and mm-hmm. this like boy boy you throw a boy into the mix uh who's who's a pretty boy that the that aru kind of admired and then embarrassed herself and then um they all have to kind of figure out what they're doing and how to how basically aru's been framed and they have to like they have i think 10 days to figure out what happened someone stole something from the gods and they need to get it back or they're doomed basically yep and i just loved the dynamic of adding these two new characters in because you you know you said it really well with the first two with Minnie and Aru in book one they their dynamic is very interesting they're very opposite personalities it was really fun to watch them play on each other and then you add these two new characters into the mix when you were kind of creating these new voices did you have their heads or like their voices really strong in your mind before you went forward or was it like a okay these two are strong what else can we add to the dynamic it was a, it was a mix I mean I'm actually struggling with this right now as I'm working on the draft for book three this this tension of how much of the voice needs to be there for me to successfully continue on with the plot and have it not feel uh, disingenuous to the characters and um, how much can I discover about them as I start writing 
So for me, the characters of Bryn and Aiden were not how I thought they would end. They would end necessarily. I knew that Bryn, well, I knew Bryn would be very strong. Um, and I knew that that strength was hiding a weakness, but I didn't know what that weakness would be. Mm. I didn't know why she would feel in such competition with Aru and Minnie. And I had to dig deep into that. Like, what does it mean to feel like everybody else is in on a joke and you arrive last Mm. when you feel like you've trained the hardest and perhaps you come from a background where you are uncomfortably used to being left behind, you know, um, what does that do to you? And for Aiden, he was really interesting for me to write because he has a half Apsara heritage. And if you're not familiar with what an Apsara is, it's a celestial nymph in Hindu myth. Mm -hmm. And when we think about these incredibly seductive women who were sent by the gods to distract sages from their meditations, they wouldn't get too powerful and all this stuff. I wanted to think about what kind of, what kind of kid would you have if you gave those powers to a boy, Mm. not like powers of not necessarily seduction, but being impossible to look away from. Mm -hmm. Um, and what would he think of it? And he's very uncomfortable with it. He doesn't like that people can't consent to being like obsessed with him if he chose or how, um, he's a caretaker at heart and still like, for me, has all my favorite aspects of a brooding hero. You know, there's, there's something there's, there's pain there and there's a, a deep desire to take care of the people, um, that he cares about. So digging into that, and especially, um, the end scene with his, um, mother was really hard for me to write and deeply rewarding. Hmm. I liked him a lot too. I mean, uh, for those of you who haven't read this book or listening, um, or these books, the main characters are like 12 and Aiden's like 13. So we're talking on the young end of, of like hormones and teenage years. So imagine mm-hmm. the, the I, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine even as the writer here for you to create this character who is still a child. He's still got a foot in both worlds. And yet he's, he's knows this knowledge about himself that he has this emotional manipulation ability and has this, you know, heritage that makes him uncomfortable. I I'm sure that was really interesting to kind of bring to life. It was. Um, and I, I, I think it's always such an interesting challenge for, especially with middle grade. It's the wonderful thing is these these kids believe that yes, they can change the world. Yes. yes, they can save the world. Of course, it's not too much. It's too much of a suspension of disbelief to to think that a twelve year old would be given that task. Um, and I love that. Mm-hmm. But there's always the question of how much does it age them to have this much responsibility yeah. thrown at them? Um, and at what point do we lose that sense of joy and wonder? Um, and for example, you know, you look at the Harry Potter books, and it's when. Harry hits 14. Yep. That seems, yeah, (laughs) that all of a sudden you still have the delightful names and the pieces of world building that feel, I don't know, that you can keep chewing on them and they'll, they'll still be revealing new pockets and new drawers. But it's the point at which you, the main character, this kid character feels betrayed by the system around them Mm. um, on trust doesn't trust themselves in many ways and um, are grappling with that doubt for the first time. So what does it do to their humor? What does it do to their outlook on life? 
how does it change their language of love for the people who do care about them? Mm. Um, and I'm starting to get to that point right now in RU3 and it's immensely rewarding to have, to watch her grow up on the page and also really sad because I just want her to go on and keep quoting Lord of the Rings and Zoolander and just like, you know, marching to the beat of her own drum and not have to worry, you know? Yeah. But you had her, even from early on in book one, she's even with, she has probably one of the most hilarious snarky voices I've read in a long time, which I Thank was, you. was delightful because Thank she was you. just cracking jokes all the time and like cracking herself up and not taking things too seriously, even though she's in these perilous situations. But right. she has this kind of complicated uh, dynamic with her mom and and kind of literally what you just said, this, you know, growing having being forced to grow up because you're having to deal with these relationships and and you know revelations and you know she learns things about her mom even in book one that carry obviously into book two and 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 just her development as a character that are adult things that she has to deal with and um you know it, it is interesting to see how how that dynamic affects her as a person because she is still snarky and funny but um, yeah, she definitely grows in book two. I'm, I'm really curious to see, as you're saying, as she's growing in book three, how we kind of go with that. Yeah, I book three has been really tough and great to write at the same time mm. because I'm excited that we're getting to this point. But I think that it's not um, there's as so many characters now that it will that I really need to dedicate the time to revising it to make sure that everything is balanced accordingly. Mm-hmm. Everybody's it's clear that everybody's in the same scene. If even if they don't all have speaking lines, you know, like just l- little things to make the world feel real, you know? Well, and I'm sure it's, it's a challenge just when you have a cast of characters that keeps getting larger and needing to make sure that they each have their own strong identity and voice that we, as the reader, we can know at a glance or at a, in a sentence or two who's speaking, like you said, or, behaviorally um things that set them apart so i'm just imagining as a writer that's got to be a challenge um hopefully it's a fun one and then it's challenging in a you know i'm sure it's hard sometimes but um (laughs) you know bringing these guys to life is is i mean on on the reading end it is delightful to see characters who have such a strong sense of identity even though they're young i really enjoyed like uh mini and aru are very clear like very solid. And then you add Brandon Aiden to the mix and they add this, they kind of flush it out and they all felt really, you know, believable as, as kids doing what they were doing and their issues, like you said, were a lot of them were more deep and secretive and they come up, come to light, but it felt um, believable as I was reading them. They definitely felt like these kids who, who felt like they could be dealing with life stuff, you know? I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm sure just because it's hard when you're, you know, when you look at your own art and you're like, is this right? Is this where I need to be? But no, it. Oh, uh, yeah. It's yeah. I hear you. It's hard. Ooh. Um, <laughs> but it's I mean, they're great. They really are. And I kind of touching on what we were saying a little bit before, too. What other major differences have you noticed between writing middle grade and YA? Because this is your first middle grade and you'd written. Mm-hmm three middle or three YAs before this? I mean, you had written short stories for a star touch too, but like, right. 
I think it would be, well, I guess it was Star Touch Queen, then A Crown of Wishes, and then, um, and then Aru. And then Aru. Yeah. Aru was my third. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how was it jumping into a middle grade? What were some of the biggest challenges, I guess, as a writer to have to make that mental shift between, you know, teen and almost teen? I think the biggest thing was, um, for me, it it was kind of like where I emotionally started these characters. I feel what's wonderful about young adult is it's deeply emotionally urgent. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in these coming of age stories, you don't really get much time to wander in the joy of things. You're almost immediately always plunged into what it is that the character so desperately wants and needs that makes it serious quickly. And so balancing that voice of Aru, which was light, you know, to start with, um, was a huge challenge for me because Mm. I think, especially with middle grade, a kid will put a book down within 50 pages and never pick it back up. If Mm. it sounds as though you're trying or you're lying, um, (laughs) or you're being condescending to them and their reading level and their ability to grasp certain things. So it was learning how to, to, to lean into that voice before I leaned into this, the story itself, you know, like I originally, Ari was going down these ridiculous tangents, but they were so voicey and so her that I just kept letting it happen and Mm. was like, I'll take it out and I'll put it back in later, but I need to know what she sounds like first and foremost. Um, and then I think that on the flip side of that middle grade really taught me, I think how to write complex ensemble casts in the sense that I, when I sometimes wrote at the beginning and I, and I looked at this when I reread parts of the star touch queen, which is a book I'm deeply proud of, but not one that, not one that I can reread from, you know, cover to cover and feel like, wow, this is amazing. You know, like all the, all the mistakes that you made yeah. jump out at you. Yeah. So it's your first baby and you're the learning yeah. thing. And yeah, no, that yeah. makes sense. And it was sort of this thing where, um, with middle grade, especially it's the art of describing. And I think that most people who read my work and if they enjoy it, they like the writing style, which is tends to be atmospheric or whatever else. But with Aru, I had to rein in that atmosphere to give very concrete things of what does this feel like underneath? How far away is this thing? Mm. How can I write this action clearly without making it sound like I'm describing a domino piece falling, Mm. you know? Um, and to be able to jump from character to character and and sort of sketch out what the whole of them are doing was something that I didn't know how to do until I started writing middle grade, especially because the Aru series is action driven. Yeah. And, um, and so stuff has to happen. Stuff needs to move quickly. How do I, how do I do that? How do you add an emotional underpinning to it? So it's not just fight scene, run to the next place, fight scene, you know? Yeah. I would say at their core, they're quest books more than, you know, that's what they are is that's, oh, they, these yeah. are heroes or, and they're on their I little quests. I, I think I only can write quest books. Yeah. <laughs> quest books are great though. Let's be quest real. Books are great. They're, they are, I read to escape and there are parts of me that wish I could 
you know, ride a seven headed horse and, you know, be friends with a talking pigeon, which would be so awesome. I'm I'm a huge bird nerd. And so I'm like, oh, my God, I die. This guys, there's a pigeon in the characters who's like this (laughs) um, shamed sorcerer god guy who is now forced to be a pigeon and he's so disgruntled about it but he's also delightful and i i just think he's so disgruntled very much the reluctant mentor teacher (laughs) of the bondavas hates that they stress him out so much give him ulcers he's losing his feathers he's worried about them all the time they never take their vitamins nobody listens to him it's fine he's just like He's so great. And then he's you putting like bird gestures in like he preens aggressively when he's frustrated and just I don't know. It's it's cracks me up. That's one of my favorite things about reading good middle grade is they make me laugh like as an as a fully in the adult life category. Now I'm in my late 30s. I'm like, I still love reading middle grade because they, you know, even though they're dealing with these pretty horrific situations and you know like mm-hmm. hey guess what if you don't deal with this by the by the next week everyone's gonna die or whatever right there's yeah. still 12 year olds running around like you said making zoolander what it, it was in this book she said something about like something for ants like the quote of the of the <laughs> which i was like oh my god she just quoted zoolander this is great <laughs> um yeah so it's it makes it delightful and there's a great way to um a, as a reader it's fun to see that you're able to put that it's not even comedic relief because it's like this, the constant narrative, even though there's stress, it's just, there's a humor in these books that I really enjoyed reading. They really balanced it. Well. They balanced it well. So I appreciate that. I think for me, it, the, it always comes down to loving to write monsters that are very bad at being monstrous. And that ends up just yielding <laughs> funny situations, humor. at least for me and the characters. Yeah. Well, and especially when like, you have them all with their, their personalities are so distinctly different and how they all react differently. Um, like uh, the first thing that pops in my head is I think their first monster, monster attack monster encounter in the first book, they're in like a beauty salon and though they're like, Oh my God, what do we do? And the one's like trying to do Minnie's trying to do one thing and ours trying to do another. And they're both like freaking out in different ways. And they, you know, their strengths get <laughs> gilded in different ways. It's just, it was really entertaining to see how, because like Minnie is like a, how do I say she's a hypochondriac? What's what would the word be? Because she's like overly concerned about her health. <laughs> yeah, she she is kind of a, a hypochondriac. Well, but not like concerned that she herself is ill, but just that everybody else around her could get ill. Like don't this touch germ the could things. Lead to yep. this. Don't touch this thing. She's very cautious, and I think yep. the reason why she like <laughs> hyper studies and hyper knows all these random medical or science facts is because. This is her way of conquering fear yeah. to know it so thoroughly that it can't scare her anymore. Although it doesn't quite work for her. She's still, you know, fucking terrified of everything. Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame her for well, it. Well, but she's also got this like deep bravery to her, which I really appreciated too. Like you would think someone who's like, oh my God, don't touch my hands. I'll bump elbows because we're going to give each other germs is able to muster this courage when she needs it, which was great. Um yeah, I, I, I actually really love her character a lot. I think she's a really good too. balance to Aru. Um, do you have a character in that you feel the most connection with as a like that you felt like, oh, my God, this was me as a, when I was 12 or when I was a kid? I, I love this question. I don't know. It's it's hard because I think that to to get into the mind space of any of my characters, I have to give them some part of myself yeah. or some part of someone who I love or, or whatever. I mean, that and, makes sense to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then like kind of 
temper that piece of them through new situations so it doesn't read as identical. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you're not, you know, that, that kind of experience. Um, I would say I, I am very similar to Aru. I also hated middle school, grew up in Atlanta, felt really awkward about going to a very bougie private school. Um, and although I had my friends, I kind of had a reputation for being a liar because that was my only way of trying to fit in was by telling stories that somebody would listen to. Hmm. And, um, so I really related to Aru's feeling of just, you know, wanting so much to grow up and be cooler than what you are. (laughs) Right. I don't know a single person who doesn't feel that way though. Even the cool people never felt cool. Like it's bizarre how that works, you know? Yeah. And it's also just cool is such a past tense state of existence. It's something that you don't realize until it's over. um, And then you've lost it. Uh, (laughs) And so that's like, that, that's, an emotional part of me that certainly um, lives on in Ario. And I think for in my young adult work, the character of Enrique, who is a Spanish Filipino historian in the world of the <laughs> Gilded Wolves, is very much like me. Um, we both are now those people at parties who are just like, would you like to know the origin story of that word or why a tomato is called lycopersicum, which means wolf peach? And they're just like, no, I want to go back to my whiskey ginger. And you're like, that's cool. You know, like, what, yeah. what are you going to do? But then it's his struggle with uh, being mixed race and not knowing which side he owes more allegiance to. Mm-hmm. Is it the side that you are exposed to more, the side that you know the language of? Or at what point can you just decide? fuck it and belong to yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? So Well, and that's part um, of also growing up. Like I was thinking, like, I honestly truly believe that the, the stuff that makes you a really weird kid makes you a really cool adult, really, really interesting. Yes. Cause like, you know, I, I was a super weird kid as well. Super weird kid. Um, and I also, I, but I love my life as an adult and I live, I, what I would say is relatively non-traditionally and I Mm -hmm. love that about myself because I'm like not afraid to, I don't know, be that person. Maybe it's because I had to fight for that person when I was younger and just had to learn to accept that I was not going to be the popular kid, even though I definitely wanted to be. Um, in our own ways, we just all want to be, but it it doesn't happen, you know, (laughs) like. You know, I completely understand what you mean. It's the bravery of choosing to make yourself happy. Mm-hmm. And it's a hard choice to make when you're essentially told at every turn that this is not the way to be happy. This is no way to live. Um, and it's a it's a very scary plunge to to take care of yourself. Across you that know? line, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. When it's fascinating because, you know, you said you were telling lies as a child to try to fit in or to make yourself feel cooler. But meanwhile, look at what you do for a living. You tell these beautiful stories that you're making up and you're just like, can be like, look at me now, guys, I'm doing the thing with, you know, all the things that kind of the imagination. And that's what Aro, she's like, I'm not lying. I'm, I'm using my imagination. She says that multiple yeah. times. And, but look, that's you're, you get paid to use your imagination now and it's great and people love it. <laughs> Um, they have been very generous so. no it's great I mean yeah your stories are um I agree your writing's lyrical but you just write these great stories to escape into like they're Thank they're you. fun to read because they're like to me that is the pinnacle of why I read especially why I read books with fantastical elements to them is I want to just get lost in a story I want to escape I want to 
you know, meet these interesting people and have an adventure with them. And your books do that. And um, yeah, I think that's there's there's a reason why people love them. So before we go on, I wanted to I wanted to ask you. So you kind of touch on Bryn's interesting, I don't want to say is her sexuality. What's the word I want to say for that? Yeah. Um, was that part of her identity when you were first creating her as a character? Because that's so great that she is, you know, that's part of who she is. And, and that comes up in the story. And um, I think it's great that you were able to write something that is relevant and something that people who um, are wired this way can connect to you know, so. Oh, I appreciate that. I think, you know, Bryn, pretty, Bryn is bi. Um, and she says it pretty openly. Um, and it comes about after at least my favorite scene in the book, which is way towards the end when we find out the background of a certain character and everyone's like, wait, what? (laughs) So, (laughs) um, and, and for her to talk about that. And I, I really wanted that on the page because I don't think that, anyone should feel uh, pushed to one side or the other. And I know that, you know, with a lot of, I have a couple of family members um, and who are bi and this sort of awkward liminal space where they have to explain to family that, no, it's not one or the other. Yeah, it's both. Yeah. Um, and to claim that territory, which is so often erased and so often just like smeared with terrible stereotypes. I just wanted to, have a girl who had no problem. Um, yeah, that's what I loved about that. her was she was just kind of like, I don't know. I just, the way she handles it was really enjoyable to read. So I, I like, glad. yeah, I like that you kind of, I don't know, addressed something important. And again, she's not exactly like an adult. She's a, she's a young teenager who's mm-hmm. figuring out this part of herself you know that she's right to feel that then it's it just feeds into that idea of yeah this is who I am I'm wired this way and this is what feels right to me and as my person and um yeah it, it's it's it was great it was really in, um good to have that in there too so yay I'm so glad to hear that I'm really <laughs> glad to hear that I think one of the joys about writing these stories is to bring up I guess issues of marginalization but not make it the focus point of the book but rather just the lens through which characters perceive things um as that was something that had always at least bothered me when I was growing up uh, if I wanted to read a story about someone who looked like me or mm-hmm. had a name like mine or any of that there were so often quote issue books you know mm-hmm. where who they were was was the problem at the heart of the book and I just you know I I just there's certainly a place for those stories and they are so critical and, and wonderful, but it's just not the kind of thing I wanted to write um, at all. So. I mean, that makes sense uh, as a reader. I, I mean, we all as humans interact with other humans in this world. And, and it's not like I look at a person who is different from me and think, Oh, that's everything about them is that, you know, that just yeah. is a, Oh, cool. They're X, Y, Z, you know, whatever right. that means. Yeah. Um, it's one facet of, what makes them them? Yeah. And to, to allow us to have the space for nuance. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's great. So you've been jumping back and forth between the Aru books and the Gilded Wolf books. You Silver mm-hmm. Serpent's coming out next year. Aru 3 is coming out next year. Mm-hmm. How's that going? Hmm. I mean, you said book How 3, but like balancing those two and kind of getting, yeah. I guess, being in those two different worlds, I guess? Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> you're like, how is that going? Asking how yourself, is that I going? I don't know. I don't. I Dude, I could not tell you. This has been the best year of my life. Um, oh, wow. And also, that's amazing. Just such a blur. Such a blur. I, 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 I don't know what day it is. Who am I? What am I eating today? Where? What? What is this bird doing outside my window? I. <laughs> yeah, you're just trying to rush in all this, li- yeah. cram in all these moments of life all at once. I mean, like we got married March, God, thirtieth, and then immediately went out of the country for a long time, came back, and then one week later went on tour. Yeah. On tour, closed on her first home, wow. and been writing um dang yeah nonstop. yeah it's a lot and um for me it makes me that much more territorial about certain writing ceremonies that I do for myself um hmm. like the candle that I like to burn yeah um and having separate candles per project and splurging on that stuff or or whatever else and not feeling guilty giving about... yourself permission for the self-care that you need to get your creative yeah. process happening yeah yeah absolutely and also there's this very irritating myth that true writers write every day. That's nonsense. There are days where I have nothing to give to the page, but yeah. I need to dedicate that entire day to thinking um, mm-hmm. and just sinking back into worlds that made me laugh, that made me want to start writing. Um, and all of that is work, you know, uh, just the act of sitting there passively and letting these stories just settle at the bottom of your brain is work. And it's taken me a while to be able to clarify that to people and, and to myself and not feel so guilty for, for not just parking myself in front of my laptop and, and trying to knock out as many words as possible, you know? Yeah. But I mean, I think knowing that about yourself and your process is, is going to make a better product in the end because you're not going to be forcing it. I mean, it's one thing yeah. to do like NaNoWriMo and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm doing the thing and you're mentally doing the thing for 30 days or whatever. But yeah, I, I agree. Like my, one of my, one of my rituals, and I think this is common for a lot of creative people is I have to clean my space before I can right. really get down to brass tacks here. I'm like, and if my house is messy, I will take a whole day to clean my house, even though I need to be working, but I can't really be productive in the way I want to be productive. If my, if I'm, distracted by my desk covered in crap or whatever you know what I mean right. so yeah absolutely. That makes total sense to me but I mean yeah. at, at least you figure that out about yourself and that I mean that's part of growing up too I think and being an adult is like giving yourself permission to to know what you need yeah I completely agree as a human and, I, and as an artist you know yes exactly and and when it, especially when it comes to writing two series that are extraordinarily different from each other, Very different, different themes, yes. um, different, different characters and all that kind of stuff. For me, at least it's taught me that I cannot be in the same stage with two writing projects at once. Meaning I cannot draft the Gilded mm. Wolves book three and Aru book three at the same time. I would lose my mind. That actually makes sense because that seems like that's a pouring out of the creative well and you only have so much water in there. Right. Yeah. Right. So I have to be revising one and drafting the other, vice versa, to be able to tackle both. Um, and my editors have been very respectful of my schedule, and we've tried to work it out as best as we can so that mm-hmm. I can separate working on each. But it doesn't always happen. There is inevitably overlap. You know, for example, like I've got the Gilded Wolves sequel due May 18th to turn in for copy edits. But 
Aru 3 is due June 1st, and we're moving. <laughs> Girl. So, <laughs> I, it is an abundance of beautiful problems, is what I'll, is how I'll put it. You know? Man, the first half of this year for you has really been insane. I just, yeah. That I, is crazy. I keep looking at the universe and I'm like, don't you dare knock me up. Don't you do it. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Not yet. That's hilarious. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, is the second half of the year, are you able to breathe a little easier? I mean, because I'm assuming one project's done and you roll over yeah. to the next, but. Yeah. I, I hope so. I don't know. <laughs> I've got all this travel lined up and I'm so excited to do it, but I think that this is another thing about managing certain different projects and stuff. Mm. It's not feeling guilty, especially as women, um, not feeling guilty about saying no to certain things yeah. that you know are great, that you know could be good for your career or advance you in some other way, but you, that you simply do not have the emotional bandwidth for. And um, if you, if it really was meant for you, then the bandwidth would be there. Like you said with Aru, right. like your passion was there. You had to write this. This was, oh my gosh, I need to write this middle grade series. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially, you know, one thing I've noticed growing, I feel like after my first book was published in 2016, I've grown up so much and I've been so, so fortunate to make the connections that I have. But to hear the way we talk to women about their success and accomplishments versus how we talk to men. Mm -hmm. um, I can't tell you how many times they'll turn to the guy next to me and just be like, wow, like you worked so hard. You did this. I don't know how you managed it. And then look at me and say like, you're so lucky. Mm -hmm. You're so lucky to have all of this. Oh, aren't and I though, even though I worked my ass off just as hard as that guy. Right. Yeah. And I would never, you know, you've got to be a fool with like, I don't even, I don't even know to spit on the face of luck, which does so much in the sense of timing. It does. I get um, it, yeah. So I never, never, ever try to lose sight of that because those opportunities, nobody could manufacture, but the universe itself. Uh -huh. And yet when we give credit to everything except you, um, I think it's what ends up putting you in a very dangerous position to be burnt out by work and this desperation to prove to other people that you've earned your place here. Mm. And now I'm just like, I don't really care what you think. I really just don't give a shit because yeah. all you care about is a story that you're telling the readers who have been so kind enough and who loved your work and given your stories a home in their heart and have followed you on this journey. Yes. That's the audience. Not, yeah, not like mediocre white dude in the corner who's just like, <laughs> it's really interesting that you write children's books. When are you going to grow up? And I'm just like, gosh, oh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is what I was saying about like, as an adult embracing that part of your life, like this is part of that is being okay with your art, being okay with you as a person. I, I hate that that's still like the man woman card, which is so annoying. It's so frustrating, but I'm glad that you at least yeah. on your end are able to be like, this is where I am in my creative journey. And these are the projects I'm excited about. And yeah. you know, you're just able to give them the heart that they deserve and, um, like you said, keep plugging away with your readers. And that's honestly what's so fun about books is like, you know, your book could be someone's ultimate favorite and it could be someone else's like, yeah, I liked it. And that's what's wonderful about creativity is that's why there's so many beautiful books out there to read because they all speak to different people in different ways and different times. And so as as the writer, you need to follow that too, you know, like, right. This is like, you know, on in numbers, that project makes sense. But if it's not, 
doing anything for your soul. You're not, that <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Worth- Does this project fulfill me in a certain way yeah. or whatever yeah. else? Or, you know, when you end up in those awkward conversations where you're frantically defending your life's work and then wondering like, why am I going out of my way to impress this person who will have no impact on my Clearly life? Clearly doesn't. Yeah. Just, it's yeah. just some random person. You know? And it's not even that you wish ill on them. There's nothing like that. No. It's just like this sense of wanting to be taken seriously. And I, it's funny because I feel like that's the, that's oftentimes the journey of my, the characters in my books. What does it mean to be looked to in society to be taken seriously, to, um, to know that you're strong and to have others validate it. So I'll be interested to see, hopefully there's nothing to, to report on this, but I would be interested to see if like in a year or two after you've now been married, if like having a spouse makes any impact to like, white dude in a corner who's like oh well she has a male support partner you know how dudes are you know like just that mindset of like especially because you're attractive too so it's like oh she can't be intelligent she can't be I'm pretty cute you are you're you're beyond pretty cute you're beautiful so (laughs) I I was just saying you know you defining yourself as an artist too because you're like okay well now you have a husband so you're more valid or you know oh you you hit lists but you're so pretty like how you know like it's so stupid how these things it is stupid define Um, yeah and I I'm very blessed with a extraordinarily close family um Mm. I love my family so much I love my in-laws so 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 much and my sister-in-law and everyone but kind of outside of that, when we go to Indian parties, because my husband and I are both of that South Asian descent, um, the number of people who are like, you're so lucky and that, you know, you're, you've got this doctor husband, he's going to become an orthopedic surgeon, like, oh. how great is it not to have to worry? When in reality, Amin is just like, let's go buy this thing because I don't have cash here. You do it. You yeah. know, just, like, Meanwhile, it's like, shouldn't he be saying to him, damn, look at your hot wife. Yeah. who's making bank on all these awesome books and look at what she's doing with her life. Like seriously. And he's so, he's so proud of me. And I love that. And yeah. so supportive. That's wonderful. And it's, it's frustrating for both of us to, to, um, to deal with that mm. because I don't know. And, and also sometimes not hurt the other person's feelings because I, I get a lot of those comments from, well-meaning older aunties and uncles who I know that for them, marriage was a way out. It was their way of freedom, a home mm. for themselves, a place to call the shots for the first time. Yeah. So I would never, ever, ever want to cheapen their power for them, you know? Um, but it's not the same not have, as yours, though. That's right. the thing. They may not have had the same opportunities that I had. Um, and if they had them, maybe they would look at that language of power differently. Mm-hmm. But this is this is theirs and I'm not going to take it from them. But at the same time, I don't want it taken from me. You're finding that you have to find that sense. balance of like being able to respect them while still right. being like, yeah, but that's not my story. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. That's, that would be hard. I mean, I'm sure, but I'm sorry at the same time, like you said, it's great to have a close family to know that you have people to, who to rely on. And, and your husband is, seems really awesome. And he's really cute Ooh. too. Not that that matters, but He's real cute. He's real cute. real cute. You guys are real cute in your photos, man. I'm just like, oh my God, look at these guys. They're so cute. Oh my gosh. Um, before we go, I always like to ask my authors if they've been reading anything good lately, even if it's been out for a while or if it's an upcoming book. Is there anything um, that you've that has caught your eye as a reader in the past? Oh, while? yeah. Well, I mean, this is 
she's a very, very close friend of mine, but I'm going to recommend her book anyway, because it really is extraordinary. Um, and it comes out in fall. It's The Beautiful by Renee Asselin. Oh, gosh, I love her stuff. Yes. And it's vampires in New Orleans. Oh, it's everything that you want it to be it oh. is a true Renee book. You know, it's it's just so sensory. It envelopes you completely. The romance is um, like just it kicks you. It's great. <laughs> I love it. I'm just like, oh, it hurts. It hurts so good. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, that was already on my radar, but sold. Now I'm like, oh, God, I got to hit up someone for an arc now that you said that. I'm mm-hmm. like, I've seen them out in the world. I've talked to her publicist. No, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, I'm a fan of her books as well. So that's great to know. I mean, granted, like you said, you're friends, but it doesn't matter because if it's good, it's good. You're still going to talk about it. True. <laughs> Absolutely. That's awesome. Anything else that you can think of? Um, I'm really, really excited to read The Starless Sea by Erin Morgenstern. Um, yes. I feel like I've been waiting for her second book. I know. For forever. God, that, um, and that, so this is just... Talk about we live pressure. In exciting book times. So. I mean, I, I've wondered about like when you're in a situation like that where your first book is so explosive like that. And then mm-hmm. you're like, how do I, what do I, you know, especially because it's a standalone and, yeah, and you yeah. know, just kind of its own little. Right. But yeah, her, I agree. The second book sounds amazing. Yeah. How do you follow up that kind of stuff? I, and so I, I hope one day she, she talks about it because, you know, it's, it is really interesting to get to a point where your art is recognized and where people have an understanding of what to expect from your work. Mm-hmm. And it certainly changes your own relationship with how you write, what you expect of yourself, mm-hmm. um, and how do you tune out both your biggest fans and your loudest naysayers, mm-hmm. you know? It was interesting. I had uh, Samantha Shannon on a couple episodes ago, and, mm-hmm. you know, she's known for the Bone Season series, which is, like, what she became known for. But then she just was like, nope, I'm going to write this epic 800-page dragon fantasy standalone, which yeah. came out of, like, nowhere. And it's amazing. Yep. And but it's, and it's, like, a totally different feeling and vibe and everything. Um, and it was really fun for people who are fans of hers to kind of get a different taste. So I can totally yeah. see, like, what you're saying there. Just how they, you know, do the shift. So yeah, totally. Erin's yeah. I, I maybe I'll see if I can talk to her because that would be really cool. I agree. Finding out that that journey for her. Yes. So yeah, awesome. Those are great recommendations. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's so many good books. It's like seriously, there's so many good books. So oh. many. All right, this was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This was a joy. I loved it. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, Guys, tune in next week after this episode. I'm going to be bringing you, uh, we have a couple of cool authors lined up. I'm not going to say who yet because we're still working out schedules, but I, I also have a really great agent coming up soon. So be sure to tune back in and thanks for listening. Bye.